A common feature of most nativity icons, like the one on the leaflet or in the back of the church, is the depiction of St. Joseph confronting the devil disguised as an elderly shepherd. The former is shown to be in a state of bewilderment as he listens to the objections raised by the old man regarding the virgin birth. The scene is usually positioned at the bottom left or right corner, which has the effect of drawing us into their conversation. As we listen, our eyes drift towards the action taking place in the center of the icon, where Mary is reclining next to her newborn son. My mother, when first seeing the image, asked me, Why does Jesus look like he's wrapped in a shroud? Her surprise was exactly the kind of surprise the icon is intended to elicit. For centuries, iconographers have maintained the tradition of depicting the manger as a marble sepulcher. Likewise, the infant Jesus is shown wrapped in a death shroud. Not exactly your typical secular idea of Christmas cheer. These visual cues are not so much a nod towards the historical and literal details of Christ's birth, but a theological statement. The Feast of the Nativity is as much a celebration of our redemption as it is the beginning of Jesus' journey towards the cross. The moment God entered our world as a human being, he became subject to the laws of nature, including the law of death. And this brings us back to the beginning. The objection that Satan placed before Joseph, and by extension all of us, is this. How can the immortal and incorporeal God exist in the frail, tiny body of a first-century Palestinian Jewish baby? Surely this is not the Son of God. The answer, of course, is yes, but it was not always so obvious to our first ancestors in the faith perhaps even for us still. The scandal of particularity regarding the conditions of Christ's birth, for example, his ethnicity, his humble position in society, the historical circumstances, etc., is especially challenging. The root of this difficulty lies in the question, how can God adopt for himself a single gender, race, class, etc., to the exclusion of others. Since this homily does not attempt to expound the mystery of God's infinite wisdom, we can be satisfied with what we do know, that Jesus Christ is not merely a human being, but also divine, and therefore transcends the limits of human nature. In fact, and here's the key, he even promises the same for those who follow him. So much for exclusion. But for this to happen, God wills that we should, like his Son, undergo particular trials that will become the means of our sanctification. As we heard in John's Gospel, But to those who did accept Christ, he gave power to become children of God. Our acceptance of this incarnate Lord takes many forms. For example, since we confess that Jesus was born and died for us, Rather than complain about our sufferings, it is useful to remember the sacrifices and inconveniences that our Lord himself endured when on earth. We've heard and perhaps have said it ourselves, Why me? 
Why does this have to happen right now, of all times? Traffic is taking too long. The restaurant ran out of my favorite dish. Why won't that baby please stop crying? Maybe we find that our neighbor is extremely difficult to live with, but fail to see in them the presence of Christ, who wills also to grant them eternal salvation. It is very tempting to focus on the content of our suffering and forget that behind it there is a greater purpose for our having to endure it. These difficult moments are potentially an occasion for entering into Christ's offering of himself to the Father and, consequently, becomes an encounter with the Incarnate Lord. How we participate is through intercessory prayer on behalf of ourselves and others, transforming our suffering into the object of our sacrifice to God. Our involvement in the work of salvation is important. It's crucial. To desire another world or to dream of a better existence than the one God has placed us in now is to put off this responsibility and remove the mystery of the Incarnation from our own experience. Returning now to the example of the Nativity icon, we notice that the manger is placed in the darkness of a cave, a shadowy crypt. All around it are other caves and crevices, portending a great and perilous struggle between good and evil. This struggle is not far from us as we attempt to remove all the wickedness and negativity from our hearts as we follow Christ. Yet like the desolate landscape we see depicted in this icon, the conflicts that await us can become the beautiful image that adorns the infant Jesus. It is a great comfort to think of what God of what love God has for us, that he is patient with our flaws. He even desires that we should come to him exactly as we are now, and as we know how, warts and all. So when our time comes, I believe that looking back on all these steep climbs and thorny patches of our life, God will show us how every step of the way he was masterfully painting another icon of his son. <laughs>